Thank you for listening to a Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. If you need any information about our church, or if you'd like to give online, please visit us at praisechapelkingman.com. Say that this is one of those sermons that, you know, God kind of sneaks in the back door of your life. You know what I mean? It's, it's one of those thoughts where God planted something a long, long, long time ago in me. And it's kind of been evolving and growing and gaining momentum. And just recently, it has hit me like a two-by-four. How many know that God's got to use a two-by-four every now and then? He says, do I have your attention now? And it's like, yep, you got my attention. I appreciate that. And so that's one of these sermons. Um, A few years ago, a book was written that its title really has caught my attention. The title of that book is How to Hug a Porcupine. And then the subtitle is Easy Ways to Love the Difficult People in Your Life. Has anybody got any difficult people in their life? Raise your hand if you got difficult people. If you couldn't raise your hand, then you are the difficult person. The truth is, the truth is we all have difficult people in our life. We all do. There's those prickly people that when you get close to them, you generally get stuck. How many know what I'm talking about? And the subject or the idea of loving someone who is difficult is not a new thought. It's not a new idea. In fact, it was Jesus who said, love your enemies. Or in modern terms, Learn to hug a porcupine. (laughs) You know, this year we have determined that our theme for the year would be doing life together. And the reason we decided that for many reasons is because uh, one of them is because the New Testament church, a mark of the New Testament church, was this idea of community and family and doing life together. And I believe in my heart of hearts that it was then and still is today the plan of God for his church. It really is the strategy, if you will, to win the world. And we've talked about that in other sermons, and I could go into great depth in that, uh, but not today, because I want to concentrate on something else. But suffice to say that it is the plan of God that his church, his body, would learn to do life together are you hearing what I'm saying it's the whole body knit together every joint supplying what the other needs every part does doing its share causing growth and edification and love doing life together but I'll let you in on a little secret doing life together can be and often is the hardest thing that you'll ever do. And the reason for that is when you get more than one person in a room, sometimes even with one person, there can be disagreements. There can be difficult personalities. And how many know that everybody has an opinion? Amen. And then you add into the mix things like immaturity or ignorance. And of course, the strategy of hell. And all of this works together to come against the unity and the peace of the body of Christ and the relationships that we have made with one another. And these dynamics, these dynamics of disagreements and personality and opinions and immaturity, they are very real dynamics that work to separate and to isolate people. And what it does is it renders the church lifeless, powerless, and ineffective. And then what happens is we have to understand is if we can't love our own, how will we ever love a lost world that desperately needs to be loved? So what happens? Let me ask this question to you. What happens when we disagree? What happens when we are offended? What happens when we are hurt? What happens when we're overlooked 
or taken advantage of? What happens when others speak badly about us or when people dislike us or others abuse us? What happens when those who profess to be a part of the body of Christ attack us? Well, I'll tell you what happens. Too often the people who carry in them the very personification of love himself become the most vicious and mean-spirited people on the planet. Amen. It always amazes me what Christians will say about those that they have determined are against them. They will attack with little regard to the words that they speak. They will attack with little understanding of the whole story. Jesus writes just a few verses before our text in Matthew chapter 5, verse 38 through 42. He says, you have heard it was said, an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. But I tell you not to resist an evil person, but whoever slaps you on your right cheek, turn the other to him also. If anyone wants to sue you and take away your tunic, let him have your cloak also. And whoever compels you to go one mile, go with him too. Give to him who asks and from him who wants to borrow from you. Do not turn away. It's interesting that in this portion of scripture, in the, this one part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is turning everything on its head. And Jesus is doing something remarkable here because in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus uses a phrase six different times. And that phrase is, you have heard that it was said. You have heard that it was said. And what Jesus is doing is he is showing us and his disciples how the scribes and the Pharisees applied Old Testament teaching to everyday life. Then does, Jesus does something remarkable. He turns it all around and he shows us and his disciples what he is really calling us to do. Something that's different. Something that is deeper. So when Jesus speaks in Matthew 5, 20, he says, For I say to you that unless your righteousness exceeds the righteousness of the scribes and the Pharisees, you will by no means enter the kingdom of heaven. Jesus is leveling some pretty strong words here. And he's saying, what he's saying by that, he's saying there is a way of life that really is authentic. It's deep. It's unhypocritical. It's a way of life that brings life. And if you're going to make heaven home, you're going to have to live this kind of life. Now let it be clear that what he is not saying is that I have some sort of impossible standard of righteousness for you and woe to those who do not get it done. That's not what he's saying at all. What he is saying is if you come to me and trust me and receive the power of the kingdom, then you will be able to love this way. Maybe not perfectly, but powerfully. And your life will be the light of the world that proves <coughs> that you are my children. Amen. See, Jesus' desire has always been and always will be that we would love. John chapter 13, verse 34, he says, A new commandment I give to you that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. The amazing thing about that is he qualifies it. He doesn't just tell us to love. He says, love like I loved. That should put a little bit of oomph on it. Don't, don't, don't just go out there and love and, you know, kumbaya, Michael Bo Rose's boat ashore, and we're all just, hey, happy-go-lucky. No, love like I loved. How many hear what I'm talking about? Yeah. And then in 1 Corinthians 4, uh, 16, 14, it says, let all that you do be done with love. And you know what the Greek word for all is? It's everything. Everything. 
everything. Everything. You ain't getting it. Everything. Now I'm going to say it again. Let all. Let all that you do, when you go to the grocery store, when you pick up a piece of gum on the floor, when you stomp the, the ants out of your backyard, let it be done in love. I know, I know you little critters were made by God, but you can't inhabit here, so in love, be gone. You got to do it in love. How many hear what I'm talking about? Jesus said, all that you do, do in love. So now let's look at our text. Matthew chapter 5, verses 43 through 45 says, you have heard it said, there's that statement again, isn't it? You shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies. Bless those who curse you. Do good to those that hate you. And pray for those that spitefully use you and persecute you that you may be the sons of your father in heaven, for he makes his son rise on the evil and on the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. What an amazing scripture. That scripture has been implanted in my heart years and years ago, and it's a, it's a portion of scripture that in Jacob's Ladder and other venues that I have taught on, but it's something that has grown in me over the years, but particularly the last couple. And then more recently, it has been something that has captivated me. And you'll see why here in a moment. God has gripped me. I was listening to a man preach. And this is a man that's a very famous pastor, has a very large church. And he was talking about communion and how he does communion. And he was sharing just the dynamics of what he has learned over the years about communion. And when he came to the part of communion where he takes the cup, he receives the blood of Christ in the communion service, he, he talked about how that he would pray for his enemy. How that he would love them. And, and he would say, you know, there are a lot of people that have said very vicious things and hard things about me. And their goal is to thwart what I'm doing because somehow they disagree with what I'm doing. And so they think it's their calling to come against me. And he says, and you know what? I'm really impressed with their zeal. And he says, I thank God that they called Jesus Lord. And he says, everything else is irrelevant. And I prayed that they would be blessed. And I prayed that their children would come to know him in a better way. I prayed that the presence of God. And as I'm listening to this man preach, I'm, I'm captivated by this thought of, I want to be like him when I grow up. That somehow this man has been able to harness the true understanding of what it is to love. That love isn't always convenient. That sometimes love hurts and sometimes love is difficult and sometimes we have to love people that don't love us. And that somewhere in the midst of it is that he was not allowing himself to move into retaliation or revenge. But he was loving. And he was loving those that were his enemy. And to be honest with you, I got quite moved by this and so in prayer... I begin to think about this and I, I begin to wrestle this out because you don't have to go very far online before you find lots of stuff, vicious stuff that is being said about him and his ministry and what he's doing. And some of it you just don't know. You just sit back and you wonder, you know, is that godly? Is that true? And I, I don't know. And so I was praying and I, I stopped and I said, God, I, you know, what is this? How, how does this work? And, and, and I'm just not, and God spoke to me. And he said, you'll know them by their fruit. Amen. And it became very apparent to me. He says, look at the fruit. There are those out there that, that love God. They believe in God, but they believe that it is their calling to tear down, to break apart, to speak against. And what they're known for is what they're against rather than what they are for. Right. Then I begin to look at this man that is being accused and there he stood in compassion, loving. And I thought, I want that. Amen. It's so easy to be negative. It's so easy to find dirt on you. 
I don't have to look very far if I'm looking for dirt. But that's not what I'm called to do. The Bible tells me I am called to look for the gold. I'm called to look for the gift. I'm called to look for God in you. And admittedly, in some people's life, you got to travel through a lot of dirt to get there. But that is not my problem. That is not my issue. My issue is God called me to love. Several years ago, a man by the name of Mosab Hassan Yusuf grew up. He wrote a book and he's telling a story. And he tells a story that he grew up as a Muslim. And from an early age, he studied the Quran. He memorized its teachings and he said the daily prayers. And he followed the way of Islam as faithfully as he could. And in that respect, he was like many other young men growing up in Palestinian towns in the West Bank, with one very important exception. Yosef's father was the founder, of, one of the founders of Hamas, the militant terrorist organization. You would think that he wouldn't be a likely candidate for conversion but God doesn't think like we think, does he? And sometimes God's ways are beyond human explanation. In his book, The Son of Hamas, Yosef tells how he met a man who gave him a New Testament. And because he was very interested in religious matters, he decided to read it to see for himself what it said. And naturally, he started with the book of Matthew. And soon he encountered the Sermon on the Mount. And there he got his first unfiltered exposure to the pure teachings of Jesus. And it blew him away. He says, only Jesus says, love your enemies. And when he was interviewed on radio, he told the story in his book. He said, I couldn't get away from the revolutionary nature of Jesus' teaching. He says, the one point that stuck with me deep in my heart was Matthew 5, 43. He says, you have heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. He says, I was thunderstruck. It was the message I had been looking for. And soon after that, he gave his life to Christ. And he says, the, what motivated me was three words. And he says, I still can't get away from them today. Love your enemy. Amen. See, loving your enemies, it's an easy thing to say, but it's really, really hard to do. We can all relate to that, right? We can even agree with it in principle. Yes, we, you know, we've got it down, don't we? We're professional Christians. We know how to do it. We know what to say. Thank you, Jesus. Praise the Lord. I love you, bro. So in principle, we get it. Love your enemy. Yeah, we love our enemy. But in practice, it is part, probably the hardest thing that Jesus ever told us to do. Listen, Jesus could tell me to fast for 40 days, and I'm probably more into that than loving my enemy. Come on. Even when we read the Bible, sometimes even when we privately read the Bible, it can be extremely difficult to believe that Jesus meant what he said. Listen, when someone's attacking you, when someone is speaking all kinds of mean-spirited things about you, when people lie about you, when people gossip about you, when they take advantage of you, when they ignore you, when they abuse you, when they steal from you, loving them may be the last thing that's at the top of your list. There's a lot of things that we would like to do to our enemies, like getting even or making them suffer like they made us suffer. And it's even harder to love your enemies 
that are attacking your children or your grandchildren or your spouse. It's hard. It's really hard. If you attack my wife, it puts me in a whole nother place. The little doughboy becomes the green-eyed, ugly monster. I know you don't believe that about me, but trust me. This leads me to a very practical question. Who are my enemies? Now, the dictionary says an enemy is a person who is actively opposed or hostile to someone or something. In the broadest sense of the word, an enemy is anyone who turns against me. And we understand this in the terms of those that would come against our country or our way of life, those that would invade. But Jesus is not talking about enemies on the other side of the world. He's talking about personal enemies who tend to be much closer at home. In fact, Jesus says in Matthew chapter 10, verse 36, he says, a man's enemies will be those of his own household. Come on now. See, our enemy is oftentimes those that we are the closest with. These are people we go home with every day. We go to work with them. We interact with them. We go to school with them. These are people that may not like us. They may even come to church with us. We wouldn't, we, we, has anybody ever been in Walmart and saw something you didn't like and went down the other aisle? It's like, shut up, man. Don't let them know we're here. Don't just walk away quickly. Walk away. Oh my gosh. They'll talk your ear off. Mm. See, many of our enemies are found in our immediate sphere of influence. And that's not to mention those whose only crime is that they believe different than us. Amen. I'm going to deal with something real quick. Hang on with me, okay? This absolutely blows my mind. How quickly we can turn someone we don't even know into an enemy. Because what they believe is a little bit different than us. Listen, no one, no one, not one person has the corner on truth. Everyone is on the journey of becoming what God has for them and wants for them. And when we set ourselves up as judge over someone's belief system, we are on really dangerous ground. We weren't called to judge, we were called to love, to respect, to honor, to apply grace, to treat them as they would have us treat us. I'm amazed, I, I, I was just the other day, I was, uh, we were looking on Facebook. Someone we know, someone that I know, was just ripping one of the famous pastors because of something they heard somewhere. It's amazing to me how we will take random bits of information out of the equivalent of the inquirer right, right. and then begin to rip people apart with that. Yes. You remember the inquirer? I remember, maybe you're not old enough. I'm looking around the room and there are some older people here, but the National Enquirer, remember when it was at the, new, you know, the, the stand, they would have, you know, a woman pregnant with a cat that has moon dust, you know, and people go, oh my God, did you hear about the woman that had a cat that had moon dust on it? It's like, what? What? Supposedly, the woman is coming against this pastor because he has a watch that has a picture of a serpent on it. Oh my God, it's the devil. Come on. Really? He's a devil worshiper. So, and so all the doctors that have the thing that has a snake on a pole, and you remember God told him to look at that and Jesus had to be lifted up like that. So that's all wrong. I, I digress. 
But what happens, we, we will find somebody that has just a, you know, maybe they are a little strange. Right. Maybe they've had an experience that you haven't had. It's their experience. Well, I don't know. It's not in the Bible. Well, let me tell you something about the Bible. All of the Bible is in God, but not all of God is in the Bible. Amen. <laughs> let me tell you, God said there are secret things that I reserve for me only. You can look in Revelations. There's a place. I don't know where it's at. I think it's in like Revelations 15 or something. John the Revelator, he goes, I heard the seven thunders and they spoke. And the angel said, don't write that down. That bugs me, man. I want to know what the seven thunders said. <laughs> Write it down. Do it anyway. Amen. I want to know what the seven thunders said. And, you know, why were they talking? If they're talking, if, hey, if it's supernatural, I'm in. I want to know. They're talking. I'm thinking they got a message for me. That may be where the lost Dutchman mine is. Maybe they were talking about that. I want to know. I am inquisitive. I don't. The worst thing you can do to me is I got to tell you something, but I'll tell you tomorrow. Now, I am up all night. No, no, don't do that to me. Tell me now. But God don't tell us everything, does he? And sometimes people have experiences that are unique to them. And it won't be in the Bible because it's between them and God. And then we go, well, that ain't in the Bible. Well, there's some really weird things in the Bible. Did you ever hear about the donkey that talked to the prophet? Yeah. Right. <laughs> or, or, or how about the coin in the fish's mouth? That was a little strange. How about the prophet that was told, go marry, marry a prostitute? You know, if a, if a disciple comes to me and says, you know, God spoke to me. He told me to go to Vegas. I'm probably like, no, no, no. You're just a counseling session waiting to happen. <laughs> You know what I'm saying? How about the prophet that was told to cook his food over dung? Or here's this. How about the prophet that was told to lay on his side naked for two and a half years? That's a little strange. All that's in the Bible. But you know what? We hear somebody say, well, you know, God's book. Oh, that's not there. You better run. It's the devil. Why are we so afraid of the devil's ability to corrupt? and not confident of God's ability to keep. I'm on, a, I'm on a tangent. But it blows my mind how quickly we can turn all that into where they're an enemy. And then we fillet them alive in public. Much of Christianity has come to believe that we are to draw a line in the sand and resist evil doctrine. And those sinners out there, we better tell them very clearly that they're all going to hell. Now, I know what you might be thinking. Oh, here we go. Now he's going he's gonna to lighten up on sin, and he's going to say, you know what, any doctrine goes. Well, heaven's sakes, no. Let me tell you something. Let me say it very clearly. If you're out there sinning, stop it. And if you have wrong doctrine, change it. Get back to the word of God. But we're convinced we're just, we, you know, my job is to bring the mighty weight of the kingdom down on evildoers. I need to expose sin. Here's, here's the problem with that thought and that mindset is that in our zeal to resist what we believe is wrong, we generally vilify those that we've called to love. Let's see what the Bible has to say. Galatians 6, 1 says, brethren, if a man is overtaken in a trespass, and you know what's interesting about that word trespass, if you go to look it up, it is actually the root word for apostate. It's, it's somebody that's completely fallen away. If a man is overtaken in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you be tempted. See, even if, we're, even if you find people that are wrong, your calling is not to judge. Your calling is to restore in gentleness and kindness and meekness, considering that you could be in that condition one day. He goes on, listen to these words. This is so powerful. In Romans chapter 2, verses 1 through 4, he says, You are inexcusable, O man, whoever you are who judge 
For in whatever you judge another, you condemn yourself. For you who judge practice the same things. But we know that the judgment of God is according to, the, to truth against those who practice such things. And do you think this, O oh man, you who judge those practicing such things and, do not, and doing the same, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you despise the riches of his goodness, forbearance, and long-suffering, and not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leads men to repentance? He's dealing with this. He's dealing with the very subject we are. See, we as a church, as, as, a, as a nation of churches, as, as the general body of Christ in the Western world, we've come to this place where we think it's our duty to go out and to hammer. It's not our duty to go out and love. It's to apply grace. Oh, here you go. Grace, 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 grace. Well, let's look. Titus 2, 11 and 12. For the grace of God that brings salvation has appeared to all men, teaching us that denying ungodliness and worldly lusts, we should live soberly, righteously, and godly in this present age. It's the grace of God that teaches us. It's the goodness of God that leads us. Yeah, I know, you guys, you grace people. Well, the only reason that we could say that is because of the fact that we have a grave misunderstanding of grace. Grace does not overlook sin. Grace empowers righteousness. Are you hearing what I'm saying? See, it's when I come to the place when, when I'm truly being loved, when I know that I'm loved, when I know the Father. See, that's what happened to Yusuf. He, he came to a place where he felt and experienced the love of God. Yes. And he says, i got to give my life to this man. See, love changes everything. Can you say amen? See, if this teaching of Jesus about loving our enemy is going to work, then it must work in the relationships closest to us. We need to learn to deal with the people that are closest to us before we can impact the world around us. Most of us have encountered enemies along the way, haven't we? Friends come and go. Enemies accumulate. And nothing seems more natural than to hate those that have hurt us deeply. But Jesus said, love your enemies. The question is, how do we do this? It's an interesting story in the Old Testament, and it gives us some wisdom that I think we really need to understand. And it's found in Jeremiah 29. And in Jeremiah 29, if you'll remember, the children of Israel have been taken into captivity. Uh, King Nebuchadnezzar of Babylon and his army came against the gates of Jerusalem. He came the first time in 605 B.C. And then he came another time in uh, 597 B.C. And he's taken groups of people into um, exile. They've been pulled from Jerusalem into Babylon and there was just this humiliation. There was this, this, this place where uh, these people were uh, uh, really taken advantage of it. And some of it was because of their rebellion. Some of it is because sowing and reaping took place. And they ended up there for 70 years in captivity, ruled by pagans who did not worship God. But there's something that happens, because not everyone was taken. And Jeremiah was one of the ones that were not taken. And so through the power of God and under the inspiration of the anointing of God, Jeremiah pens a letter to those that are in exile. And that's chapter 29 of Jer the book of Jeremiah. And he says this in verse number 7. He says, And seek the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away captive. And pray to the Lord for it. For in its peace you will have peace. Now, this is really powerful this morning. And we need to capture this because God's word is very simple here. God's saying, I put you in Babylon for a purpose. And although I know you are humiliated and I know you're discouraged and I know you're angry, I don't want you to be in despair. 
In fact, I have a strategy for you. You're going to be there a while. And so I have a way for you to have victory. And here's how you have victory. Pray for the peace of Babylon. Amen. If it has peace, you too will have peace. Now it's interesting, the Hebrew word for peace in this scripture is the word shalom, which literally means safety, health, prosperity, rest, favor, and peace. That's what God's asking them. He says, seek the safety, the health, the prosperity, the rest, the favor, and the peace of the city where I have caused you to be carried away to. If you have, if, if, if they have that, you will have that. And here is the message for all of us. We may, be, we may find ourselves caught in a bad situation at work or at school or at home. Someone may have hurt you deeply and all you can think to do is strike back. With all your energy, you can barely hold back the bitterness. And sometimes it sloshes over the top every now and then. You wouldn't pray for your enemies if your life depended on it at that moment. But God says do it anyway. That's the whole point of Jeremiah 29, 7. Because God ties their blessing, the children of Israel's blessing, to the blessing of those in Babylon. This seems completely backwards. Think about it. They're exiled into a pagan world. They're living in a godless nation. Think about this. These people are pagans. They invaded our land. They destroyed our city. They burned down the temple where we worshiped God. These are vile people, killers and rapists. Why would I ever pray for them? They don't deserve it. And it's true, the Babylonians were not nice people. You really have a hard time being a nice bar barbaric killer. It's kind of hard to do both. And to spread their kingdom, the Babylonians acted ruthlessly. Anyone who dared to oppose them, life was cheap, death was easy, torture was a means of sending a message to future foes, and they didn't deserve their prayers. But that was not the point, was it? God says, I want to, I want to encourage my people. He says, I know you've been humiliated. I know you don't like it in Babylon. I know you don't like what's going on, but I have a strategy for you. I want you to seek their blessing. Nothing seems more unnatural than to love those that have hated us. But God shows us a better way. The world says, get even. But God says, seek their good. The world says, get angry. But God says, pray for them. Love them anyway. The world says, don't waste time loving bad people. God says, love them anyway. Hating accomplishes nothing. Loving changes everything. There's an interesting verse of scripture in the book of James. James 1, 19 through 20. It says, my dear brothers, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to anger, slow to become angry, or slow to speak, slow to become angry. For man's anger does not bring about the righteous life that God desires. Let me say it again. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry, because man's anger does not bring about righteousness. You know, this is the reason this is such a point for me is because I've had some things happen. I've had to live this. Several years ago, I had somebody do something that really hurt me. This was probably about six years ago or so. That really hurt me. There was dynamics, and I won't go into all of that, but suffice to say that it was one of these moments and so trying to work through that process and trying to work through my own anger and, and all of that, I, you know, I was far along enough that I knew that you know, I had to get rid of this and forgive and all of that. And so I, I was out in the back and I was walking on the property and I was praying. 
And I remember I was praying and I was just like, God, I can't get over this. This is just too much. And I hate this and I don't like this and blah, 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 complain, sentient, you know, what's going on. Finally, God breaks through and he speaks to me. And he says, I, I want you to pray for him. Amen. Pray for him. He said, yeah, in fact, I want you to pray blessing on him. Blessing on him? Are you nuts? God didn't answer. And I was struggling. And I really, I'm arguing with God. I said, God, I, you know, I just don't know how to do this. I don't know how to. And, and to be honest with you, I was very afraid. What I was afraid of is I was afraid that God would answer my prayer. I thought... I thought, here I am, I'm going to be slugging it out, and I'm going to be, you know, brrr, all this stuff. And I, next thing you know, I'm going to look over, and he's going happy-go-lucky. He's got the blessing of God. Things are flowing in his life, and everything's sweet and dandy. And it's like, you know what, God, I don't know if I can stomach that. I don't know if I could be happy with him being blessed. And you know what God said to me? He goes, you know what your problem is, John? I said, what? He goes, you don't understand the nature of blessing. And you don't trust me. <laughs> wow. What is it, God? What is it? He goes, you know, he said, John, you, you, you have to understand that what he did was wrong. It was wrong. It wasn't right. And the greatest blessing in his life that he'd be in right, that he would get right with me. I went, oh. Okay, let me just shut up here. He goes, that, that would be fine. See, church, the problem is, is we think we know. We don't know. And so oftentimes we act on misinformation and misunderstanding and we think we got it down and God says, you don't have a clue. So just pray for him. It's interesting because when you really mind this out and I'm, I'm gonna move along here quickly so I can get done. So how do we do that? Well, the first thing that we have to do is we have to disarm them. See, what do you mean by disarm them? Look at what it says just after our text. It says, in verse 46, if you love those that love you, what reward do you have? Don't even the tax collectors do the same? And if you greet your brethren only, what do you have more than others? Don't even the tax collectors do so? What's he saying? Greet them instead of avoid them. Greet them. Shake hands, smile, say hello. God bless you. I'm praying for you. You are the bomb. I think you're a great person. What? It disarms them. Look at when you when you do good to your enemy, your enemy will be thrown in disarray. They won't know what to do. They're expecting an attack. They are expecting an assault. But when you go, you know what? I love you and I think the world of you. And I'm praying, God bless you. They get wiggly and they don't know what happened. They, they don't know what to do. Do the unexpected. I took this man out the other day to lunch. Took him, bought him lunch, had time with him. I'm not mad. I'm set free. I'm not mad. I, and he's getting right. It's working out. God knows what he's doing. That's way above my pay grade. I mean, you know what I'm talking about? Disarm them. The second thing that Jesus tells them to do, tell us to do, is bless them. And the interesting thing about this is the language in this portion of scripture. Because this word, bless, it means this, get this, the Greek word means to speak well of, to bless, to praise, to celebrate, to invoke a blessing. And in contrast, the, the word here, curse, he says, bless those that curse you. The word curse means to doom, to curse, or to pronounce evil upon. So in other words, Jesus says, I want you to speak well of, to bless, praise, celebrate, and to invoke blessing upon the one that is dooming, cursing, and pronouncing evil on you. <laughs> really? Really? Yes. 
You know, the Bible has lots to say about the words of our mouth and the power of it. The Bible says we are justified or condemned, condemned by the words of our mouth. And then Proverbs 18:21 it tells us that death and life are in the power of the tongue. And when we understand that, we have the ability to change things. Bless them that curse you. Then he goes on and he says, do good to them that hate you. The Greek word for to do good means do beautifully, excellently, honorably, rightly, so that there is no room for blame to them that pursue you with hatred and detest you. <laughs> so you want to be a Christian. But let me tell you something, church. There's such power in this. There's such freedom in this. Let me tell you what's remarkable. There is such joy in this. Because as you're doing this, as you are practicing this, as this is coming from your innermost being, as this is coming up and rising up, it begins to cleanse and heal and joy. Because as your enemy gets peace, so do you. In Romans chapter 12, verse 19 and 21, it says, Beloved, do not avenge yourself, but rather give place to wrath, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. Therefore, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he's thirsty, give him a drink, for in doing so you'll keep coals of fire on his head. Don't be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Are you hearing that? You make the first move. Bless them that curse you. Do good to them that hate you. And pray for them that despitefully use you and persecute you. See, the Bible says that God does nothing except an answer to prayer. And God needs to do something in that one that's in your life. And there's no greater person to pray for that one than you. And when you pray for him, you will be set free from the tyranny and the torment of unresolved emotional and relational problems. And finally, the fourth thing, and I close with this, is to say that this is next week's sermon. Forgive them. One man said this, he says, love one another and you'll be happy. It is as simple as that and as difficult as that. You know what, church? I know people have done stuff. They've said stuff. I've been the victim of it myself. Facebook and gossip and backbiting and you know people stabbing and disloyalty and all of those things. None of that matters in the presence of the love of God. Amen. In one second of his presence, all of that becomes like nothing. It fades as steam that has no place. I would rather be loving. I would rather be blessing, yes. doing good and praying than being angry. Right. I've tried anger, it's horrible. It eats away at you, it's a cancer. One man put it this way, he says, it's like putting acid into, a, into your life, expecting the other one to die. It just doesn't work. The church, there's too many people that are out there. And I, let me say this to you. Let me, and I'll, I'll shut up and close and we'll, we'll get out of here. Look, at, if you see something on the internet, just because it's there does not mean it's true. You know, we talk about it at nauseum, fake news. Do some research. Take a moment. This is what I do. When I hear a statement that catches my attention, either positive or negatively, I do research. I research the individual. I, 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 take, a, I take a moment and look. I go, wait a second, am I getting the whole story here? And if I can't find it, if I can't get any, any further than that moment, then I have to let it go because it's not about me. And look, at, if, you got an, if you got a problem with somebody, don't air it on Facebook. Don't air it. 
I, you know, to be honest, I, like, can I just, can I vent just for a moment? I really don't know what you wanted to, ha- you had to eat for lunch today. I don't care. I don't care about the fight you had with your husband or your wife. You know what I want to know? Is I want to know about the miracle God did in your life. Amen. I, I want to see the cute pictures of your kids. And if you have puppy pictures, they're always great. Post that kind of stuff. Don't get up there. Nobody cares about anybody's opinion. Nobody cares about mine and nobody cares about yours. The only one that cares about is you. Is is that too rough? (laughs) And all we do when we get out, we just become uh, divisive. We become a weapon in the hand of the devil. Oh, church, I know there's a lot of people preaching a lot of stuff out there. God's big enough to deal with it all. He's big. He's big, 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 big. Big's is too small a word. He's awesome. And he can get a hold of all that. He said, well, I don't want to be deceived. Then read your Bible. <laughs> you know, I'm going to say this and I promise I'm going to shut up. I promise. I'm, 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 venting, I'm venting right now. Look at Christianity is not rocket science. Read your Bible. You won't be deceived. Pray and things will get done. Love and you'll be loved. You want friends? Be friendly. It's like, wow, that's just really... I didn't even have to go to eight-year school of theology to get that. Just do what he says. Trust me, I got you. I love you. Can you say amen? Bow your heads with me just for a moment. Father, we thank you. We thank you so much for all that you're doing, God. We thank you for the blessing that you've poured out upon us. And Father, we do pray right now for our enemy. Lord, those that have stood against us, those that have spoken against us, those that have done and said things that have hurt us, Father, we stand in forgiveness for them. We release them to you and we pray blessing over them. Father, we commit ourselves to speaking well of them, to speak good to them. Lord, we're, we're going to take the first stand. We're, we're going to be first, Lord. We're going to greet them. Lord, we're going we're gonna to make the first step. And their response is irrelevant, Lord. We're going to do what you say. And Father, we pray today, God, that love would permeate. Love would permeate in every situation. And Father, that that love would heal the brokenness and the wounding. Father, the pain, the sting of violation. And we know that there are those in this place that have been violated at a level that is unthinkable. So we pray for those, God, that you would give them the courage and the strength to step into this. God, knowing that the one that this sets free is them. And Father, we're careful to give you the praise and the glory. And we love you today and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Our prayer team is going to come. Let's. Thank you for listening to the Praise Chapel Kingman podcast. We can't wait to see you next week.